employees might have that uh, mistake of thinking, oh, well, now that I've told you this, now I'm protected, right? Well, you're, you're protected in the sense of we don't have this blanket policy that says now you're out of here, but that doesn't mean that you're not uh, still expected to perform your job the way it needs to be performed. So, yes, you're not going to get in trouble for having that in your system, but we're still expecting you to do your job. Good morning, HR. I'm Mike Coffey, and this is the podcast where I talk to business leaders about bringing people together to create value for shareholders, customers, and the community. Please follow, rate, and review Good Morning HR wherever you get your podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or at goodmorninghr.com. Well, this episode is being released on April 20th. In other words, 420. And what better topic to discuss on 420 than marijuana in the workplace? As the number of states that approve marijuana for recreational use continues to rise, and even generally conservative states like Texas begin to approve at least limited use of marijuana or THC-related products for medical use, more and more employers are dealing with marijuana in the workplace. Joining me today to discuss all of this is Marianne Fulgham. Marianne is a senior HR consultant with the Whitney Smith Company, where she consults with employers of all sizes and from a variety of industries. Prior to joining Whitney Smith over 15 years ago, she held HR roles in both the public and private sector. Welcome to Good Morning HR, Marianne. Good morning, Mike. Good to see you. So you're based in Texas, and like, like me, and so you probably aren't encountering it as much, but are you having conversations with your HR clients or employer clients around uh, marijuana in the workplace? Well, not a lot yet, although we do have clients who have uh, locations in multiple states where marijuana is uh, legal recreationally and or medically. So some of those clients are wanting to make sure that their policies are set up to uh, be in compliance with those other states as well. And it's a real hodgepodge, right? So I'm sure when you yeah. get a you get an inquiry from a client, you're like, okay, what is that particular state doing? And this client may have a policy for their operation in California that's very different than their operation in Texas. Are you generally recommending that they go with the lowest common denominator, the most, you know, the policy that's, I guess, in this case, not most restricted, but most open to marijuana? Or are you, are you suggesting that on a state-by-state basis, they, uh, you know, they just have different sets of policies? Well, I think overall, they can create policies that might be encompassing uh, for both the the state of Texas and the other states where it might be uh, more acceptable to use. Um, now, of course, you know, the federal government uh, still is not, it, it's still not legal under federal law. So part of it's going to be contingent on the types of jobs that they have, the type of work that they do. Um, but I think a lot of policies can be set up where it can be encompassing of both what the state of Texas accepts and what the other states accept. Yeah, I feel like you said, under federal law, marijuana, and it's probably, you know, kind of anachronistic now, but marijuana is a Schedule One drug, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, it's still illegal, but 
37 states have approved it for medicinal use uh, and 18 states for recreational use. And so far, the feds don't seem that interested in really prosecuting marijuana uh, possession cases in those states where it's already approved for recreational use. In fact, you know, I was in California. I want to say it was... 2017 or 2018 in January, and it was like two weeks after marijuana become legal recreationally. And I was driving from the airport to uh, our hotel, and my VP of operations is in the car in the Uber with me. And I asked the, the driver, I said, "So tell me what uh you know what's changed you know since uh, this uh you know since it became recreationally legal because California was one of the first. And he said, here's the big difference. And he reached into his pocket and handed me a doobie. Oh, no. (laughs) And so I was like, oh, okay. And so, uh, and my very conservative VP of operations was like, uh, oh, no, don't, no. Yeah, don't don't take pictures. Don't, you know. And, of course, I took a picture and put it on, on, on Facebook. But I did learn in college you never take drugs from strangers, so I didn't actually do anything with it. But for you. It was, yeah, but it was uh, you know it's a very different world if if you if you're coming from Texas and uh, you know there's no shortage of people here smoking weed, but it's uh, it's it's not as as quite as public as your Uber driver giving you a copy. Yes, exactly. And you know, actually, Mike, uh, another little story. I know Oklahoma is okay medicinally, right? And so my family's from Oklahoma, and when I go visit, I'm amazed at the number of billboards that are up advertising these places um, that you can get medicinal medicinal marijuana. So it just shows you how more how accepting, more socially accepting it is. Well, and in in many of those medicinal mm-hmm. uh, marijuana uh, states. You know, it's, oh, I have a little bit of anxiety. Okay, boom, here's your prescription. It doesn't really, you know, it doesn't take a lot. Uh, But Texas does have the Compassionate Care Act, which is our state law that limit, in very limited cases, allows a certain kind of marijuana uh, to uh, cannabis uh, I can't, is it cannabis dash one? I think is the, the, the title. Somebody will correct me. I'm sure in our comments, but, um, there's a specific kind and it's a very low THC marijuana that, mm-hmm. that can be used. Uh, but you know, I, you know, I don't see billboards around Texas for, you know, uh, for THC. So it's still pretty, pretty limited here. What's your, what's your understanding if an employer in Texas just randomly test, you know, is doing random testing and has an employee test positive for marijuana. And the employee says, well, under the Compassionate Care Act, I have a prescription. What's that employer's, you know, what, what are their considerations and what, what would you advise that they, they do there? Well, the, one of the first things to look at is, um, well, first of all, does that individual have something from their physician stating that, yes, they do have this prescription to use uh, medical marijuana? You know, that'd be the first thing. 
you know, so there possibly could be an accommodation, that interactive process between the employee and the employer um, default that falls under the Americans with Disabilities Act. Um, but there are other things to consider as well, because as you know, under ADA, they're looking at, is this a, a safety threat or undue hardship? And so if the job is one that, um, you know, is safety sensitive, then even if that person has a prescription, then it may not be uh, possible to accommodate the use of it if it's impairing their ability to perform that job. Um, so I would say follow like the Americans with Disability Act, the interactive process, get a physician involved with the job description, between the job description and what the individual is doing um, to see if it can be accommodated. Yeah, and that's the other big difference, right? There are tests out there now that purport to actually measure impairment mm-hmm. uh, under the influence of marijuana rather than just test positive. You've got the metabolites in your system, which is what your typical urine-based test does. But the uh, the studies I've seen suggest that maybe the the facts are, you know, are still a little murky as to how accurate those tests are for really measuring uh, impairment. And so, you know, the reality is though, so if somebody shows up impaired, I'm going to test them, right? Because I can't have somebody mm-hmm. impaired in my in my workplace. Uh, but if if they, you know, if it's Tuesday morning and, and uh, somebody just gets popped for a random drug test and marijuana comes up, and uh, you know they smoked or had gummies or whatever on Saturday or Sunday, then the question is, and they've got a they've got a a note from a, a doctor. They've got a you know some sort of uh, medical provision, depending on what the, how the state ha- specific state handles it. Are they impaired or, or they have they violated my policy? Because when I'm helping, I don't know about you, but when I'm helping clients write their policies, the policies say, don't talk about impairment. The policies right. generally talk about having those metabolites in your system, uh, and that's a violation of policy to be here. And so I think you know in the, in the it was, you know, it was six, seven, eight years ago. Nobody thought the ADA was going to cover mar- medical marijuana. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just not even a thing that that you would be able to claim an ADA uh, uh, accommodation that, you know, violated federal law. Uh, but we've had federal courts say that and uh, say that, in fact, the ADA does in a number of state courts where, where it's recreationally or medically uh Legal have said that, you know, if you're using it for uh, some sort of, a com- you know, as a, as a medical reason, you can, you know, it's, you're protected under the state's versions of ADA. And now the EEOC and at least one federal court has said, yeah, it's protected under federal law. So how do you, what would you tell an employer when, some, when an employee, whether it's Texas or elsewhere, says, you know, this is, you know, this is ADA covered or this is from my doctor. What would the you know what would that interactive process look like? What kind of questions ought an employer be asking themselves and the employee? Well, again, we go back to um, 
what kind of job is that employee going to be performing? I, you know, I really do equate this a lot to uh, the use of alcohol. Um, even though alcohol is legal, if you're over the age of 21, you don't want somebody who's drinking, driving a, a heavy piece of equipment or something like that. And so, you know, I think a lot of employers are probably going to go more and probably my recommendation would be as well is to go more for um, the, if it was, it could potentially have been involved as part of the reason something happened versus just whether it's in your system, right? So like you were talking about random drug testing, well, if the employee um, has maybe a little bit of marijuana in their system with a random, but they're performing their job fine and you wouldn't know otherwise, then, you know, you got to question whether or not there really should be consequences for that. And so I think more policies are going to be aimed at whether there is a reasonable suspicion, you know, some kind of impairment or post-accident and could that um, accident have been caused or the use of marijuana contributed to that potential accident. So um, I think that would be the direction to go. It's not just whether or not it's in your system, but what has happened and did that contribute to whatever it was that happened? Yeah. And, you know, I've got clients all over the country who we do background checks and drug screening for. And I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, by the way, my, uh, regular viewers, if you're watching this on YouTube, will recognize this is not my studio. I am <laughs> I am in a hotel in Washington, D.C. today where marijuana is uh, free for all. And so um, the uh, but the, the issue, you know, as I talk to clients around the country and, and we're re, you know helping them rewrite their policies, a lot of them are just deciding we're going to take THC off our pre-employment screen and mm-hmm. off our randoms and not, we don't want to know, you know, it's just, I don't care that you had, you know, six beers Friday night. If you didn't work Saturday morning, I don't have a problem. You show up, but if you show up to work intoxicated, you got a problem and they're treating marijuana that way a lot too. So if you show up impaired, and, and, you know, we want to document that impairment, what, what that looked like and what our concerns were. And then we're going to send you for maybe a, you know, a, a breath alcohol test and maybe a, a drug test. And that drug test panel will include the THC. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so if you uh, test positive there, it's still going to be against our policy to uh, have the metabolites in your system. But it's kind of a don't ask, don't tell, right? It's, you know, if, uh, if you don't give us a reason to look, we're, you know, we're not going to look. Um, it's not a perfect policy, but as far as, as I've been able to work out, um, seems like the best thing we can, you know, we that we can work out with our clients to make sure they've got safe workplaces, but also, um, you know, uh, treat their employees fairly and recognize that times they are a changing. And let's take a quick break. Good Morning HR is brought to you by Imperative, premium background checks with fast and friendly service. If you're an HRCI or SHRM certified professional, this episode of Good Morning HR has been pre-approved for one half hour of recertification credit. To obtain the recertification information, visit goodmorninghr.com 
and click on Research Credits. Then select Episode 92 and enter the keyword 420. That's the numbers 420. On May 12th, I'll be hosting a webinar entitled Identifying Candidate Behaviors to Help Predict Success. We'll discuss how to glean key candidate behavior styles through assessments, application processes, and interview design. This free webinar is approved for one professional development credit for SHRM certified professionals and one hour of general recertification credit for HRCI certified professionals. You can register for this free webinar at imperativeinfo.com. And if you're listening to this podcast after May 12th, you can still watch the recorded webinar on our website for credit for free. And now back to my conversation with Marianne Fulgham. What else would you, is there any other specific things you would put in your, your drug screen policies related to how you deal with uh, marijuana or THC? Um, well, again, we kind of go back to, um, you know, treating it as you would um, it just impairment in general, be it alcohol, THC, or any other kind of drug. It really, you've got some positions that are safety sensitive, so they're going to be a little stricter. The guidelines are going to be a little harder. Um, If you're an employer who deals with the federal government, um, you know, if you're a federal contractor, potentially there's an issue with that. So, um, you know, in the world of HR, it seems like there's a lot of it depends uh, that gets involved in that, especially in what you and I do, because we deal with a lot of different industries and, you know, the employees that we deal with, um, with our clients, you know, depends on their job. So I'm sure you're very pro job description um, as we are. So when you have that stuff in place, um, it makes it a little easier to have that conversation with the employee about what the job involves, what you can and cannot do, and your policies regarding substance abuse in the workplace, be it marijuana or any other substance, you know, alcohol or anything like that. So I think what where I would go with this is not specifically singling out marijuana, just making your policies set where we're a safe work environment um, impairments not allowed. Uh, the use of it on the work site is not allowed. Employers can definitely say, I mean, even if um, somebody medically is, uh, their, their doctor's prescription says they can use it medicinally, you can still say, yeah, but not on our work site. You can't go out, you know, you can't be smoking a joint in your office or something like that, you know, so you can still prohibit that kind of thing from happening. Um, so yeah, you can ban it from your work site. You can, um, uh, what, what they do off hours, a lot of times, like to your point of, if I drink six beers on Saturday night, that's really not my employer's business unless I come in on, um, Sunday or Monday morning, still, hungover, not able to do my job, maybe still with alcohol in my system. It's the same thing with marijuana, you know, and I know marijuana will stay in your system for a while longer than the other drugs that they Mm -hmm. test for. So I think that's part of what makes it difficult as well, because um, just having it in your system doesn't necessarily mean you're impaired, which goes back to um, let's take a look at the safety of what we do. And if you've got something um, where you act like you're impaired or you're, um, 
you're, you have an accident, you know, some of those other things that we put into a substance abuse policy, you just, that just is inclusive for everything and not to single marijuana out. Right. And you can't, I mean, just because somebody's on a ladder and drops a hammer on somebody's head, doesn't mean that the THC that, the, you know, the marijuana that they smoked yesterday had anything to do with it. But we that's our policy. If you, you can't have the metabolites in your system, unless you've got a doctor's note, that's a whole other issue. And I think that's why our the other thing that's important in those policies is to have a carve out that says, you know, that, uh, you know, that recognizes the ADA, probably calls out that process so your managers know exactly what to do. Uh, because you probably, at, at the first point where an employee says, well, yeah, that's a, my prescription, I'm going to, or, you know, and I'm a big believer in the policy saying the time to tell us that you need an accommodation is before the drug test. Yeah. And, and so mm-hmm. um, I probably don't want to know every employee in my organization that has uh, that, a, a prescription for marijuana. But at some point when we're having the conversation about performance or reasonable suspicion or anything like that, and you've got a, uh, uh, prescription, that's when that employer, that, or that employee needs to make known to, you know, and say, and so probably the employer should say, do you have a prescription for marijuana? You know, or do you have a prescription for any drug that could cause mm-hmm. this kind of behavior and yeah. start that interactive process? Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to test them because they could say, yeah, I've got a marijuana prescription. And you say, okay, well, then we're not worried. But then you test them and it's, not marijuana that they've got in their system. Mm-hmm. It's something altogether different. And, you know, I own a background screening company. If all our employees, you know, if all our, my clients' employees were honest, I'd be out of work. And so you, that's why we have to check this stuff, right? Uh, and yeah. we don't and we don't want marijuana to be the cover for other, you know, uh, 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 illegitimate, illegitimate uh, drugs that may come up. Well, I really believe in asking kind of that broad question, like let's say you're talking about performance as you were just talking about. I believe in asking that broad question of um, which is why it's so important for managers to talk with their employees and, and communicate and keep up with what's going on. But I like to ask that question about, um, you know, here's what you're supposed to be doing. Here's what you are doing. Is there anything going on that is keeping you from doing what you're supposed to be doing? So that leaves it really broad for them to say, yeah, I um, have high anxiety, but I just started uh, with a doctor who has prescribed marijuana and whatever. So then you've got that information up front. And then like you said, if they need to be tested because of whatever reason they violated the policy, then at least they've been up front. But that doesn't forgive bad performance. And I think sometimes employees might have that uh, mistake of thinking, oh, well, now that I've told you this, now I'm protected, right? Well, you're you're protected in the sense of we don't have this blanket policy that says now you're out of here, but that doesn't mean that you're not uh, still expected to perform your job the way it needs to be performed. So, yes, you're not going to get in trouble for having that in your system, but we're still expecting you to do your job, you know. So I, I think that's another piece of this is just that managers need to be really good at communicating what 
the expectations are and when employees are not meeting those expectations, talking to them about it. That's a great opportunity to find out what's going on in their lives. And if an accommodation needs to be made, they they can consider that. But again, that doesn't say, oh, okay, well, since you have a prescription, we don't, you don't have to do your job, you know? And, and I think that's, that touches on a trap that a lot of employers fall into doing when they're working around ADA accommodations. Uh, the employee doesn't get to decide what the accommodation is. And, um, and it may be that, especially if it's a safety sensitive workplace or something like that, um, or, you know, federally regulated where we have to say, okay, you know, maybe for your anxiety or what, you know, or, or your pain management or whatever, you know, you know, THC or marijuana is one thing that you can do that, that seems to give you relief, but we need to explore other accommodations that may relieve that anxiety uh, or otherwise give you the ability to fully perform your job and, and, you know, and, and accommodate you. And so the employer, just because, especially if it's, you know, if it's, you're not dealing directly with just a, uh, a doctor's prescription, but you're dealing with somebody who's just more, you know, more amorphous about, you know, how they're, they're, they got the, the marijuana or, you know, you know, the reasons they're using it. But as soon as they tell you, well, I've got high anxiety, that should be a big red flag to an employer anyway. That's okay. They just told you they've got a, they've got a, a covered medical condition. So that's affecting their work. So let's get into the interactive process. And I think too many employers wait too long in the process. And especially since the ADA or the EEOC came out 2020 with their guidance on on marijuana in the workplace. And they've basically said, you know, you've the, it can, you know, use of marijuana can, you know, in states where it's legal to use can be a reasonable accommodation and may be protected. And so you've got to go through that process. And I really recommend it. You know, most employers are not even aware that, you know, we had a few other things going on in 2020 and mm-hmm. I think a lot of employers aren't even aware that the EOC's guidance is out there on that. And, um, and I also suggest that in your policies around THC or marijuana, you have language in there that says uh, that we're going to follow the ADA and it specifically gives everybody that clear instruction. So, you know, yeah, we, you know, we have a policy that says you can have metabolites in your system. However, in the, in the event of, you know, an ADA protected circumstance, we are going to follow the interactive process so that on its face, you're not violating the, the ADA in, in your policy. But on the flip side, um, you get employers when we're looking at their criminal history, looking at applicants, you know, applicants' criminal history or even current employees' criminal histories, there is a difference, I think, uh, and I'll be curious to your opinion on that, between a criminal case for possession, you know, misdemeanor case for possession of marijuana, uh, where that's illegal, although increasingly, as I said, in many states it's not, uh, and, or even felony trafficking. I mean, in, in, in most states, Possession of marijuana over a certain amount is still illegal if you're not a, a licensed uh, dealer. And so an employer looking at that uh, isn't really taking any risk, as I can see, violating ADA concerns. Do you have, do you have any other views on that? 
Well, I mean, I agree that's not going <clears> to <throat> be a violation of an ADA concern. Um, but the other thing that I would consider, you know, there's the whole ban the box, right, where you're not supposed to um, just blanketly make a, a decision about hiring an applicant on whether or not they have uh, on, on their criminal history. And, you know, you're supposed to look at all those things like how long ago did it happen? How does it relate to the job right. and all of those things. And I kind of see this being really similar to the same thing. So even if somebody has a, a, a conviction for marijuana possession or something like that, um, I don't know that I would make a blanket decision about whether to hire them based on that alone. I, I think all those other things in looking at convictions need to be applied. Like how long ago did it happen? Does it relate to this job and, and that? So I think that's why some employers are also taking THC off of their pre-employment because to me, that's kind of similar, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, we're going to make a decision about whether or not to hire you based on what's in your system at this time. And um, it kind of feels like the whole band the box issue. Yeah, so. I think that's a really good, yeah, that's a really good analogy as, as, you know, and right now we're still, you know, the economy is slowing down and, and there's a lot of concerns around, you know, things, but it's still really hard to find qualified applicants. Mm -hmm. And as employers, do we really want to be spending a lot of time creating barriers to hiring otherwise fully qualified people? And, um, and, and I've got, I have some, you know, we have some large engineering firms that are clients, and those tend to be very conservative organizations. Uh, and but often they're hiring young engineers who are coming out of college, and maybe they picked up a a, a citation along the way for possession of marijuana. Uh, you know, especially in, for some reason, College Station seems to really rattle it, a, fair, a fair number of those tickets. Uh, you know, Aggies, what are you going to do? But the um, but. My conversations with those clients have often been, you know what? I bet you could have a conversation with this applicant, this this new hire, and say, you know, we're very conservative here. We're a drug-free workplace. These are our policies. And if you can abide by those, you know, we will still bring you into the organization. But you may need to understand that you are going to be subject to random testing. It's not really random because the employer is dictating it, but to more testing uh, because we really have zero tolerance uh, for mm -hmm. even marijuana. And the clients who I've had those conversations with, as far as they've ever told me, have never had a situation where they tested somebody later who they gave that, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, that accommodation or that 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 unique treatment, fail one. And so, mm -hmm. you know, people are... You know, people are you know often aren't knuckleheads and will you know will will we'll clean up their act a little bit or understand that you know the conditions of the, their employment and will behave according to that. So it's not always uh, a uh, you know a black mark. You know, we're more and more as a society moving away from the idea of scarlet letters that this one you know critical error in judgment in the past is going to follow you through your entire employment context. And, uh, you know, we, uh, heaven forbid that at 53, I'm ever held accountable for the stupid things I did in college. 
Uh, I'm so glad there was no internet when I was in college. Uh, but um, so, you know, so I think you're, but I, th- I think that's a really good analogy is kind of looking at that same concept that uh, we want to evaluate criminal history on, on the full context. And uh, we want to, it makes sense to apply that to other other potential uh, barriers to employment uh, beyond criminal history, including uh, you know marijuana use or those kinds of things. Well, and to your point, you know, if I felt like smoking marijuana was important to me, but you as an employer told me, you know, we're conservative and so, um, you know, we don't do that here. And, and so and then knowing that I'm more prone to testing, I might choose not to go to your organization, you know, so it it at least gives that individual the opportunity to make that choice of, of, uh, yeah, you know, I just, I just did it for fun. And now I want this job and I'm not going to do it anymore. And so now you've got a good employee, you know, or the employee can say, or the applicant, I should say, could say, um, no, you're not for me. I'm going to go find a place that is okay with it. Yeah. Well, and that's the great thing about at will employment. It works both ways, right? Yes, uh, you know, and exactly. so, mm-hmm. um, well, Marianne, that thank you. That, that's all the time we've got today. I think we've given our, our listeners a lot to think about. Can I say one other thing? Of though? course. <laughs> one other thing to keep in mind um, in your policies for your current employees is you might also have um, an employee assistance program available that would allow for um, if employees did decide they needed help or something, or maybe they tested positive and you might give them an opportunity to seek treatment if they needed treatment. So that's something else employers might consider is just a way for employees to get help if they felt like they needed it. And it may not even be help for a marijuana addiction if such a thing really exists, but if they're using marijuana to relieve anxiety, it may mm-hmm. be that going through the EAP process and getting con- connected with some sort of behavioral assistance could make a giant difference in that person's uh, exactly. performance. So, yeah, that's a, that's, that is the perfect uh, happy ending thing to say mm-hmm. there. Uh, thank you, Marianne. I appreciate you bringing that up, too. Sure. And thank you for listening. You can comment on this episode, and I expect I'll get a few. Or search our previous episodes at goodmorninghr.com or on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. And don't forget to follow us wherever you get your podcast. Rob Upchurch is our technical producer, and you can reach him at robmakespods.com. And thank you to Imperatives Marketing Coordinator, Mary Ann Hernandez, who keeps the trains running on time. And I'm Mike Coffey. As always, don't hesitate to reach out if I can be of service to you personally or professionally. I'll see you next week. And until then, be well, do good, keep your chin up.